Welcome to Linda Gelati's podcast hour. Today's topic is going to be police brutality. We hope you're going to enjoy this. Police brutality in the United States is the unwarranted or excessive use of force against civilians by police officers. Oftentimes, this excessive force is illegal and can range anywhere from assault and battery to discriminatory harassment, intimidation, and verbal abuse. The DSM-5 criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder includes directly experiencing traumatic events or witnessing such an event. Learning that the traumatic event has occurred to a close family member or friend is also part of the diagnosis. As such, police brutality has the potential to significantly impact the victim um, and can cause enough distress to develop PTSD in individuals or even uh, communities where police are known to abuse their power. Being stopped by the police due to racial profiling is considered harassment and can produce traumatic reactions of avoidance and intrusion. So that means that the stress can be, the event can be stressful and that sometimes it can cause traumatic um, experience. This form of discriminatory harassment is considered as an encounter with racism that is best defined as adverse of hostile racism and involves thoughts, behaviors, actions, and feelings. The race-based stressors have an impact on psychological and physical health. A study by Carter and Kirkinis, 2020, examined the differences of stress symptom reactions to negative racial encounters between black and white participants. The results showed that at high levels of stress, black and white participants experience significantly different patterns of race-based stress symptoms. The white participants exhibited mostly symptoms of intrusion, while black participants experienced a variety of symptoms that included depression, intrusion, anger, hypervigilance, and physical symptoms. Further research is needed to address the effects of racism on people of color. According to Ana Orejuela Davila, a researcher at the University of North Carolina says that the cultural models of stress posit that social cultural factors influence how people may perceive racism as a stressor. She also reported that post-traumatic model posits that the same social cultural factors can play a role in resilience, but that this assumption has not been empirically tested within the context of race-based traumatic events on people of color. These results may have profound implications for the healing of racial trauma and is worth exploring further. This is a, there's a robust connection between racial discrimination and PTSD. A study by Sabrava et al, 2019, found that Latino and African-American adults who experienced discrimination significantly predicted PTSD diagnosis, but did not with any other mood disorder, indicating a unique connection. Another study indicated that adolescents with more frequency of discrimination reported higher PTSD symptoms and was related to higher use of alcohol and drugs. Having various stigmatized identities compounds the effects of traumatization. 
Microaggressions were also found to predict PTSD. Finally, in a study by Bora et al. in 2018, found that highly publicized police killings of unarmed black people affect black people in the area just from learning about it. White people in the same areas were not affected. These results demonstrate that state-inflicted oppression is a contributing factor of vicarious re-traumatization. Police brutality has been historically reported by individuals of all races, ethnicities, genders, and social classes. In the late and early 19th and 20th century, poor working class whites, Jews, and European immigrants reported frustrations over discriminatory practices. In the 1920s, Italian immigrant communities experienced a wave of police brutality as cities began to combat organized crime. Mexicans, Latinos, Chinese, and Japanese have also fallen victim to police brutality as racism and white supremacy fueled the dehumanization of people of color. The LGBTQ community and Muslims have also experienced discrimination, harassment, and violence at the hands of police officers. According to prejudice and anti-black racism experts, African Americans have been and still are the most subjected to police brutality. After World War II, as African American soldiers came home and began to assert their formal rights and liberties, incidents of police brutality increased. In addition, police departments viewed their own violent tactics as more acceptable than the lynchings that took place in rural areas. Furthermore, as more and more African Americans moved to predominantly white areas, they appeared to whites as more threatening than ever before. The institutional culture found in police departments is, that is infused with prejudice and anti-black racism has contributed toward the use of force against black and brown communities. Police departments adopted the idea that blacks were naturally criminal and that surveillance and the restriction of movement was necessary. In the 1970s, African Americans joined the police force and to be assimilated and accepted by their white counterparts, they began to take part in the beatings of African American civilians. In the late 1970s and 1980s, the perception of African Americans as criminals started a trend of racially charged political and policy discourse. Riots sparked throughout the 1960s and later in the 1980s due to the unjust killing of black men. In 1992, the police of Los Angeles, the people of Los Angeles rioted over the acquittal of police officers who used excessive force against a black man by the name of Rodney King Jr. More than 50 people were killed. Around 2,300 were arrested and property damages were estimated at over $1 billion. In 2014, another riot took place for the fatal shooting of a 14-year-old teenager named Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. Later riots in Baltimore and Minneapolis sprung in 2015 and also in 2020 for the unjust killings of Freddie Gray and George Floyd. The killing of George Floyd on May 20th 
on May 25th, 2020, marked the beginning of a series of racial justice and police accountability protests here and abroad. The Black Lives Matter movement helped organize many protests throughout the nation. Police officers in all 50 states are granted wide-ranging powers to be able to carry out their duties. However, there are limits to how far police can go before violating constitutional rights that protect every citizen. When police misconduct occurs, victims have options through federal and state laws to seek justice. U.S. federal civil rights laws can be used as they protect people from abuses by government, which includes police misconduct. The Civil Rights Act allows for compensation of legal fees and punitive damages. There are incentives for injured parties to enforce their rights. Police officers are granted immunity from lawsuits when performing their jobs properly and without willful or unreasonable conduct. Mere negligence or the failure to exercise due care is not enough to create liability. A statute known as Section 1983 is the primary civil rights law that victims of police misconduct rely upon. This law was originally passed as part of the Civil Rights Act of 1871 and was intended to curb oppressive conduct by government and private individuals participating in vigilante groups such as the KKK. Section 1983 makes it unlawful for anyone acting under the authority of state law to deprive another person of his or her rights under the Constitution. The most common claims brought against police officers are false arrest or false imprisonment, malicious prosecution, and unreasonable or excessive force. False imprisonment occurs when a person who doesn't have legal authority or justification intentionally restrains another person's ability to move freely. Police officers have the right to detain someone if and when they have probable cause to believe that the person has engaged in wrongdoing or when they believe a crime has been committed. A malicious prosecution occurs when a police officer or other government official causes criminal charges to be filed against a person when the official knows that probable cause is lacking. Excessive force refers to situations where government officials that are legally entitled to use force exceed the minimum amount of force necessary to diffuse an incident or to protect themselves or others from harm. When excessive force involves law enforcement, especially during an arrest, it can also be referred to as police brutality. The constitutional right to be protective from excessive force is found in the reasonable search and seizure requirement of the Fourth Amendment and the prohibition on cruel and unusual punishment in the Eighth Amendment. Mass demands to defund the police and defend the people has resonated in many states across the nation. Concerns about police brutality against unarmed black people and the role of social work is uphold, in upholding white supremacy has also been raised from within and about the field of social work. There is a history of social work playing a conflicted role in the U.S. social-political-economic context 
due to interprofessional collaboration between social work and law enforcement, regardless of the history of oppression and abuse of power, particularly against black and brown people of lower socioeconomic status. A defiant faction in the social work field is now considering that social work is to be dedicated to the well-being of all people, should be playing a role to defend, defund the police. Divesting from policing and the abolishment of certain related sectors that include child welfare may be necessary due to their history of social control and racial oppression. Knowing what I know about the defund the police movement as a social work practitioner, I will do my best to follow the recommendations set forth to move towards a community-centered anti-carceral social work. The recommendations are as follows. One, learn about alternatives to policing to connect to social work practices that are at the center of communities, their needs to create structural change and bring forth healing. Two, move towards alternative community-based approaches that center and give directly to communities that are most impacted and offer better and more sustainable options for anti-carceral carceral social work. Three, work towards systemic change by advocating and organizing to bring forth policies that remove and lessen police involvement. Four, move towards transformative justice and advance a vision of social work representing the goals and values of social work, promoting true social justice supporting marginalized communities, and establishing self-determination. Lastly, I will collaborate with other service providers and advocates to bring forth collective well-being, and so should you. This is Linda Gelati uh, with today's podcast on police brutality. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope that this has empowered you to become a better and more effective social worker to make sure that the well-being of all people is secured in the U.S. Have a great day.